Welcome to Decision Space, the only podcast that takes place right here between the turns in your favorite games. The only podcast about the decisions in games that I think is worth your time. I'm Brendan, and I'm here with... <laughs> I'm Jake. Wow, we are spicy. <laughs> A very strange introduction. I'm excited because we're number three on the charts for games in the Netherlands. So walking with a little bit of swagger coming into the podcast today and excited for the topic at hand. How are you doing, Jake? I'm doing great, man. Feeling good. We were going to record the other day and I was feeling a little bit not so good because I of uh, my second vaccine, which we're so grateful to have. And But I woke up today and I feel 100% and I'm super excited to chat about games. So I just for for history, I'll say that today I got my first dose and I feel amazing. We were just talking about how the the only side effect is like a sore arm, but it's the best sore arm we've ever experienced. So (laughs) I'm feeling great. And also... Before we get too far to the show, uh, for those of you who are part of our pre-planning group, the group that plays the games along with us uh, to prepare, we want to let you know that next week we're going to be talking about the classic worker, no, area control game, El Grande, the big one. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be such a fun episode, so don't miss it. And it's, you know, I don't think it's spoiling too much to say this is just a classic game, if you haven't played it yet, do yourself a favor, check it out. It's on Yukata now, and I guess it's in alpha on Board Game Arena. So um, do that. And I do, just to put a pin on our uh, vaccine talk, I just, want, I just want to say like how grateful I am to get it and just wish everyone out there uh, you know, speed and ease in securing a vaccine wherever you are in the world. And hopefully uh, you know, this thing is, is behind us sooner rather than later. Totally. Well put, Jake. I would like to jump into an extension where we're going to go into it. I don't know if we're going to play any Pixies, but that's it. Where is my mind? So, Jake, I'm curious. This is the, the, the quick series that we do at the beginning of each episode now. We've been getting some good feedback on, on the topic, on the, the subject, and I we're going to keep doing it, I think. So, Jake, where is your mind? Okay. So, okay, this is just a thought that's been creeping into the back of my head and I don't know really you know I don't I don't know if I'm like completely alone in this or other people might be feeling the same way um but like as soon you know I've just been looking forward to that first game night back like with my whole being you know like in in, in the process of getting the vaccines that you know as silly as it sounds like games and game nights with friends or something that gives me so much joy that that's like one of the things I'm most looking forward to, to uh, returning as part of my life, you know, of course, like seeing family and hugging them, that will be great, too. But like, you know, truly games is something that's really important to me. But as soon as I got the second vaccine, I just had this other thought creeping my back of my head that's like, I haven't had a game night with like friends in such a long time. Like, I have like this, you know, I'm sure it's not logical but like all of a sudden i have this like tiny nagging fears like what if i don't like playing games with friends anymore (laughs) (laughs) like maybe i've changed over this year of not doing it so like i don't know like i don't anticipate this happening but i just have this like tiny fear that like like my friends were going to be around the table we're going to be playing a game i love and we're gonna get the end i'm like huh maybe it's not for me anymore huh that's that's (laughs) i i love how honest you were with that where's my mind because 
It hadn't crossed my mind that that might be something I would experience too, but like I have, I certainly, the way that I've settled into the world in which we exist, though it's been awful, and like as an introvert to some extent, I really enjoy the time playing games in my home. And I do wonder, like like you're saying, it'll be totally different. The efficiency of playing a heavy Euro game online, totally gone. You're going to have to wait 15 minutes for your friend to, to make up their decision. And then someone will point out, oh, but that rule doesn't work that way. And then everyone's going to be in shambles. <laughs> what? Uh, okay, maybe next episode, Jake, as a follow-up to this Where's My Mind, we should talk about, in our Where's My Mind, the two games that we want to play at our first game night. That sounds great. Yeah, that'll be that'll awesome. be awesome. I'll be super quick. My mind is on. Uh, my wife and I play a ton of games together. It's one of the things that I think I enjoy most about playing games is that we have the opportunity to just relax and play games together. Um, but we've been really busy lately, and we finally had the chance to play a game that we purchased a couple months ago for the second time. Uh, we didn't purchase it for the second time. We got to play it for the second time. And that's New York Zoo, the Uwe Rosenberg game about filling your your zoo, your tetronimo your polyomino zoo uh of enclosures kind of like patchwork full of little tiny animals that are adorable and cute um and i want to keep playing it because there's something i i really enjoy his polyonimo games but i have to say jake what's on my mind right now is this is like the fiddliest uve rosenberg game i've ever played and i haven't played feast for odin but i feel like it takes everything great about patchwork and then says but you definitely want to have to touch six times more pieces and have <laughs> 10 times as long setting the game up for maybe a worse experience, right? And I'm like, no, I don't. I want to play Patchwork. Um, but we'll see. Maybe this will come up as a, a topic of discussion again. It's a really beautiful game, um, but I wonder if partially the mechanics don't justify the, the cost of entry in terms of setup. So that's where is my mind. We got to try to keep it quip, quippy and short, quippy and short. All right, perfect. So now, if you listened to our episode last week in Welcome To, you heard a little bit about what this episode is going to be about. So Jake, when we started this podcast, Jake had this awesome idea of using sort of the lens of decisions and games and talking about the decisions and games as being the driving force of our podcast. And I think it's been really fruitful so far. And for me, one of the ways in which it's been the most fruitful is trying to think about new ways uh, to discuss decision spaces. Not just are they big or small, uh, not just how do they make you feel, but really thinking about how they play out, what's the shape of them. Um, so what we've sort of come to now in this double digit episodes um, is a new paradigm for thinking about the decision spaces in games. And we have four different types of decision spaces that we think games can fit into. Um, these are, we're, we're treating them as categories, but as a caveat here, I think ultimately in some cases, the, these are really spectrums. And I think for the purpose of thinking about games, um, we want to try to use them as categories as much as possible, as much as that's useful. But do know that as we dive into it, ultimately, two games in the same category might not mean the exact same things in terms of their decision space. It really probably is a spectrum. Yeah, and a game could have two parts, like two different yeah. phases where one is occupying one of these uh, categories, which we're going to explain right now, and then another part of the game occupying another area. And that's really interesting, too, because I think as we develop these lenses, we might even start talking about the relationship between those two separate decision spaces and the effects of that. So even though our categories now are sort of four, maybe as Jake and I and all of you spend more time with this idea 
it will unlock an even deeper understanding of the types of decision spaces in games based on the relationship between how these different pieces interact. And I think for today's, the purpose of today's discussion, we'll be talking about on average, what does a game feel like and what does a game look like? So to introduce you to the idea, the four types, uh, I'm going to read them off now and then we'll sort of delve into them and explain them a little bit. So Jake and I have come up with the idea of there being waning decision spaces, waxing decision spaces, static decision spaces, and oscillating decision spaces, or maybe a dynamic. Yeah, I well, let's let's uh, kind of get into them, and then I'll sort of explain why I think dynamic might be to me a more descriptive term than oscillating. Now that I've seen dynamic, I'm already on board, but it's the last in our notes, so I'm going back and you're going to have to wait with me. So we're going to start with waning. So waning decision spaces, just like it sounds, are decision spaces that on average, over the course of the gameplay, shrink. So these are games that start off with lots of options, lots of potential choices, and the tension in the game arises from the game's decision space closing in on you. We're going to talk about a ton of examples later on in the show. I think we want to give you a baseline for understanding them all. But really quickly, I'll just say that like a lot of roll and write games and a lot of trick-taking games fall into this waning decision space. Then there's waxing decision spaces. These are the opposite entirely of waning decision spaces. Obviously, we're playing with the moon in our in our journey here a little bit, right? Waxing just like the moon. These are decision spaces that start small and consistently or meaningfully grow over the course of the game. Uh, I, I think that there's also an argument for these being decision spaces that start large and just get much, much larger. Uh, it's really about the course of the trajectory of the space. I, I wrote small in my definition, but I could see them starting large and getting even bigger as well, obviously. It's about, on average, which direction do you go in? Mm-hmm. And just from uh, past shows, I think you you said... Uh, Magic Gathering is a great example of this. You start out with one land, and as you build up resources, you can start playing a bunch of different spells uh, and and have more options of what to do with your turn. Yeah, definitely. Magic's always tricky because it's a game of exceptions, but I think on average probably fits into that category. Then there's static decision spaces. This is a really interesting one, and I think when this idea first came to me and to Jake and I, I didn't necessarily think, I couldn't figure out how to categorize the type of game that it didn't fit into the initial two that came. And then I realized that some decision spaces are static. They're games where you're offered the same decisions over and over again, but the consequence of those decisions in these games will shift or player information will change. So your decisions and why you might choose certain choices will change, but the core decisions that you're making in these games remain the same and persistent throughout the course of the game. Um, so the most baseline example of this would be something like rock, paper, scissors. You have three choices. You're always choosing one of those same choices. And there's more complex games that we'll talk about and delve into. <laughs> I promise it's not a category we invented only to discuss rock, paper, scissors. Only to mention it one more time on this. Yeah, we just have to talk about rock, paper, scissors at least once per episode. It's yeah, like, it's, it's pretty much one of our classics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then finally, did, why don't you do this one, Jake, since <clears throat> you okay. can launch into your... Yeah, so this is oscillating or uh, dynamic decision spaces. So uh, this is decision spaces that grow and shrink over the course of the game. Uh, but don't necessarily trend in either dis- direction. So originally, uh, we had put down oscillating. Um, and a good example of that, just reaching back into our archive of of games we've already co- covered, is Underwater Cities. Uh, that's got kind of this 
action selection mechanism where you are taking different action slots uh, and then reducing the available pool over the course of a given round. But then after everybody takes three turns, then all the actions are available again and the decision space grows. So it has this kind of oscillating effect of shrinking and then growing and shrinking and growing over the course of the game. My argument for why I think dynamic might be a better uh, term for this is just because uh, I think what's important here is that uh, there's a grow a growing and shrinking within the same game, and it doesn't necessarily have to go back and forth. So I think a lot of games kind of do this thing where they start out very small, and then uh, the decision space really grows. But then towards the end of the game, maybe as spots on the board have become taken up, or you have to like transition uh, your engine in like an engine building game to just outputting victory points. Uh, then the decision space shrinks up again. So I like I wouldn't say that's oscillating, but it's definitely dynamic. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I think I'm I'm a, along for the ride on that one. I think I'm bought in. Uh, I think there are instances maybe in games like that where they trend in one direction or the other. But I feel like there's probably games where like the decision space will grow and shrink the same amount over the course of a game. And dynamic seems to describe that perfectly, even though there's only one sort of pivot in terms of the shape of the decision space. That's interesting. I also think it's just more of like the opposite of static than oscillating. It's, it's definitely more evocative. Yeah. Let us know which, which do you, maybe we'll have decided by the end of this podcast, but at this point in the podcast, reach out to us and let us know. Do you (laughs) like the term oscillating or dynamic more? Pause the podcast, join our discord and let us know. (laughs) Perfect. And you'll join a group, a growing group of people who are joining us in really awesome conversations about games, game design, um, the games that are coming up, games that we probably won't even ever discuss in the podcast. It's a really cool community forming. So if you do want to join the Discord, check the show notes. It'll be there. Pretty much wherever you find any content for this podcast that's not right now in your ears you could probably find a link to this Discord. Yeah. Yeah, I would just say, I don't want to oversell the Discord because right now it is small, but it's like, to me, showing a ton of potential to be a really cool thing. The people that have already joined are awesome. Discussions are super great and deep about games. And and we've even started playing a game of El Grande with uh, one of the good folks in our Discord. So it's fun. It's fun. And I hope that you will join us there. Likewise. So... I think right now the best way to unpack this, these sort of different buckets and categories and tease out what they look like and, and help player everyone who's listening understand is by going into those examples like we were talking about. So do you want to start with any particular one of these categories, Jake? I say start with waning. I just think that waning and waxing are like the most obvious to understand, you know? Totally. So some examples of games that I added in this category are uh, Spades. Welcome to Patchwork. Um, We talked about spades and welcome to earlier, but I'll go into them a little bit more in depth. So in spades, you start with a hand of cards. You're dealt 13 cards. Uh, It's a quarter of the deck, right? It's a four-person game. And at the beginning of your turn, you have all 13 cards. Those are the 13 decisions that you can make. Um, And I think I'm thinking about this in terms of each sort of uh, round of spades, which really functions as a full game of spades, more or less. I know in terms of scoring, that's not necessarily the case in how you would play a game of spades. But I think in terms of like the atom of spades, that's what it is. By the end of spades, you only have one card left. You have no choice. 
So the decision space has literally waned from to zero. Uh, welcome to, this should be fairly intuitive, and we talked about it a little bit last week, but you're filling in all your spaces. By the end, a literal end condition of the game is you have no decisions left. And if if you end up in a situation where you have no valid decisions multiple times, the game will end. Or if you filled in your board, that's another end condition for the game. Uh, patchwork also, it's about filling up your space, right? It's very similar sort of in that way to welcome to. You're, you're limiting yourself each time you add a polyomino tile to your patchwork. There are fewer spaces that you have uh, to add to. So your decisions in terms of where you're placing things are decreasing. And then also, uh, as the game goes on, you can see every single tile in the game and the order that they're going out in Patchwork. So the tiles that you're drawing from, it's not like they're a deck of cards that gets recycled and you know you'll have a chance again. The number of tiles that are physically being presented is waning over the course of the game. Totally. Uh, dude, I love Patchwork. Just hearing you talk about it makes me think I really need to play it again. I only have ever played it on the app, but it's a great mm. app. And I was like uh, really hooked on it for a while. That's such a testament to the game too, because it's such a physical game. So the fact that it was even like really enjoyable on the app is amazing. Because I love like a game about fitting in shapes that's still fun in an app. It's just going to be a good game. It's totally. definitely one of the games mine I revisit very frequently. Yeah. Well, one of the games I wanted to bring up for waning is, and I think this to me is like waning decision space. The game is Five Tribes. Have you ever mm-hmm. played Five Tribes, Brendan? I have not, but I, I do know a lot about it. It's another uh, Katala game, our boy. That yep. we all- <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so essentially, Five Tribes, unlike is like the opposite of a worker placement game. It's like a worker displacement game. So all the workers are out on the board uh, and in what you essentially do is like a, a kind of a moncala system where you take a clump of workers drop one along the board in a path and then whichever space you land on you like remove those workers from the board and take an action so it's, it's this amazing it's a really fun game i really enjoy it but it's this amazing thing where like at the beginning of the game you just have like the most dense possible amount of like information and just literally infinite options of picking up workers from any of like 25 spaces. It's essentially a grid uh, and moving them in any kind of combination or order. And by the end of the game, it ends once there are, you know, no more legal moves. And mm. and, and it has this really do- like kind of delightful thing where towards the end of the game, once, you know, workers start coming off the board there's only like a few good moves left and then eventually it's like are there even legal moves on the board and you kind of have to puzzle it out and uh so you really get that dynamic where it just starts huge and it's down to nothing in in like an hour an hour and a half that's really cool i didn't know that the game literally was played until the the active moves that there were no moves left. So it can't, there, there are two end conditions. The other one is okay. like if one person like claims enough territories and places sure. all their camels out on the board, but very free, fairly frequently, I would say it ends uh, with, because there are no more legal moves. It just depends how like uh, aggressive you, like how much players are playing to achieve their own best score and how much they're playing to like mess up other people. Cause you can really like clutter up the board on purpose if you want to. Totally. I think that, one interesting trend that is comes out of waning decisions-based games um, is it seems like maybe they fit into two rough categories. One is like you start really resource-rich 
and those resources are depleted. That's like the spades or the five tribes idea in general, I think. Uh, and then there's other games like Welcome To where you don't necessarily have a ton of stuff, but the, what you do have is the opportunity to fill things in, more like Welcome To and Patchwork. Patchwork has buttons, so that complicates it some. Um, but I think one thing that all of these games generally share and the reason why these games are really work for people and might be really favorite games for some people and not as exciting for others is because they have a strong sense of tension and drama as that decision space pairs down. Um, knowing that it's only going to shrink and only get smaller, I think feels very tense and it, it leads to dramatic moments. I think you can also have moments where it falls flat, where everyone can see how it will pare down and it ends. That's like at the end of spades when everyone knows what cards are left potentially, or someone just has all of the winning cards, or probably there's probably moments in five tribes, though I haven't played it, where the last few turns are like, oh, this is kind of boring. We know how the game is going to play out depending on the game state. Or like in Welcome to Jake, when we would play games and you're like, well, I'm going to beat Brendan because I know he's going to get, he's put his numbers out in a way where the next three turns he's going to get uh, penalties and I'm going to win the game. So that's something that waning decision space games, I think really have to think about is if they're going to wane to zero, how can that waning be as exciting as possible as often as possible? Yeah. I think um, the, you, you said tension and drama and the word I would have used is stress. Like mm. I feel like more stressed, I think in these type of games uh, than, than uh, in other types of decisions, often uh, decision spaces rather often in, I think two like uh, a key kind of signifier of this uh, is like a, the decision space. Like really, there, there's an interesting kind of extra element to the moves you're making in the game where you can focus on uh, limiting. You know, like you can be really intentional about what you're leaving open to other people a lot of times, or what you're leaving open to yourself. Uh, and that's kind of like a different way of thinking that, you know, if it's a shared board game, like in five tribes, uh, I think is can be like really fun and skill intensive. Uh, because a lot of times, like in five tribes, you can have the same result, but like, depending on the path you take, it will affect mm. uh, like what other moves will be available to people who are following you. So, you know, you could take a good move, but accidentally open up a great move to somebody else. Um and another game that's that's a lot like that is uh, Hey, That's My Fish, a nice little filler game where you're penguins gobbling up ice fish uh, and, and taking ice flows off the board, where you're like literally trying to carve up this board to claim sections for yourself. And, you know, like that game to me is like just an absolutely like gorgeous design. And it has this amazing thing where it's like every single move you do affects the whole like it puts ripples throughout the whole game and fundamentally changes like all future decisions but it's like in a of course like a reductive way like reduces the options that are available to everybody else and i just think that's like something that really appeals to me i think um and i you know i don't i don't know that before this framework i'd really kind of considered that in in those terms yeah, that's that's very interesting. I'm glad you brought up the word reductive too. It's another valuable synonym for the conversation. I feel like also in terms of these games, Jake, in discussing these examples, one thing I'm realizing is that waning decision space games probably appeal to planners and people who like to plan because it's oftentimes uh, the trajectory of the game 
and trying to understand where the game is going, you know the path forward. It's very clear. Uh, because it's getting smaller, there's usually not a lot of new information being introduced into the game in the course of the game. So generally, it's player behavior and how other players react that might affect and change the outcome. Let's jump over into waxing decision spaces. Uh, so again, like this is the exact opposite of weighing, right? Decision spaces that grow over the course of the game. So I'll kind of start it off with with one that I think is a great example of this. And this is the cooperative game Spirit Island. Uh, it's one of my my very favorite cooperative games. Uh, and this has a great mechanic where you play as the spirit uh, trying to you know, get all these nasty colonizers off of off of your island uh, to keep keep it like pristine and nice. Um, it's it's a good theme. It's a good theme. I'm not doing it justice at all at all. But you play as a spirit uh, that builds up in power over the course of the game as you're putting out uh, these tokens on the board, which is like your influence. It's it's revealing new powers and abilities. So you know, you start out of the game like literally with an income of one and can only play one card mm. of the game. But as you put more influence out on the board, you'll be getting more and more income, which is what you use to play cards. And you'll be able to literally, you know, it has the actual mechanic where it's just like how many cards you can play is limited by how much influence you have out on the board. So towards the end of the game, you might be able to play three or four cards at once. So it really just like the decisions of what you can do on your turn starts out very small and just ramps up into uh towards the end it's, it can be extremely complex because you're thinking about all these different you know you have all these different cards you have the money to play play them all you can play four you can do them in whatever order you want like what areas are you targeting so it's just like really your turn and in uh, the decision you're making on it just balloon in a in a tremendous and really satisfying way that makes you feel like you know like you feel like a really powerful spirit at that point just like taken down cities like nothing nice that's awesome i feel like that sort of keys on to two really important things about waxing decision space games generally and that's that generally these games imbue a strong sense of momentum in their play right because as the games grow and you get more choices your turns just feel like you can achieve more and more you can do more and more things generally um and also sort of as a, a summary of waxing decision space games, I think oftentimes these games like to explore like that sense of growth or getting more powerful, more stronger over the course of the game. Um, and a lot of economic games will fall into this category. So one game that uh, I thought was I wanted to include for sure was Keyflower. This is a game where you start uh, your your game and you only have one tile in front of you. It's your home tile and a few resources. You have some workers. It's a worker placement auction game. Um, and as the game goes on, everyone is building out their own little, their little towns, their little cities. And every tile that they add to their board is a worker placement spot that they can, that you can utilize in the future, but you can also utilize the tiles of people you're playing against. So as the game goes on, you have to give them your worker. Actually, it's a really cool mechanic. You use your own, you get your workers back at the end of the round. But if you use someone else's, uh, they get to keep your workers. So it's, it's pretty cool. And But as the game goes on, the choices and the decisions that you get to make balloon and grow. And it's a game that plays out over the course of four rounds, which they call seasons. And as new tiles are introduced, the effects from those tiles generate more and more resources 
before you sort of pivot to scoring or more and more workers. So it's, it's a decision space that just grows very much over the course of the game. And also physically, as you're adding more tiles to your city, uh, you are getting more options in where you can add future tiles down to the sort of last round where the number of roads narrows. But overall, over the course of the game, your decision space really expands. Castles of Bad King Ludwig is another game like this. Uh, it's it's pretty similar, actually, in that it's a tile-placing game where you are growing your castle over the course of your game. And as you add more tiles, you have more options of where you can add future tiles. So it's, again, it's about that sort of that growth in your, your physical space. Totally. Yeah, I think um, a lot of probably your, your traditional, like, battling card games fit best into this category too i already mentioned magic um i think uh if you are an app or online player like legends of runeterra and hearthstone are good examples of this too because like in those games similarly you're getting more resources which just like allow you to do more uh you'll be starting your turn potentially with more uh you know creatures and and things on on the board or artifacts i think key forge is another example um where where that decision space grows over Mm. the course of the game as people have different uh uh board states and and just there's more things to interact with uh so i think most of those probably fit best into here i think the same is probably true just in general terms of deck building games uh, where you're choosing cards to add into your deck that are going to give you more powerful abilities, more resources. You know, so just speaking in general terms, I think those kind of games tend to fit better here. I think so. I, I have two ideas in response to that. I think Dominion is a perfect game that we should talk about for when we revisit multiple category games. So I think that the the two modes of that game are situated really differently in the way that it presents its decisions because of the static nature of the cards available to the player. Um, and I will also say that I think there's a strong argument for Keyforge especially being a dynamic or an oscillating game uh, because of the way that the hand structure works and the key the key forging mechanic works. You're literally uh, growing and shrinking. And it's true that these games are tough to categorize because... I think in some cases, the appeal of sort of Magic the Gathering or Keyforge is that different decks pr- produce different types of decisions. Totally, totally, totally. So in certain matchups, it might be a, a waxing game entirely where it's just like you're you're racing. You're just building, 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 and no one's going to play any sort of board clears that might bring the decision space back to be smaller. Um, so I think that makes them particularly resistant, and it could come down to a game-by-game basis. Because there's definitely games of Magic the Gathering where someone might play like a, a board clear or like even in old school stuff where you like wipe the lands where it's like, oh, now I can't make decisions again. That's where true. We yeah, no, about. that's totally true. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's just rewind this 30 seconds. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's good, though, because it helps us tease out the sort of it's interesting, too, that there's types of games where because they play out differently, one time you might play a game and it could end up like this and another time you might play a game and it could end up like that and it's probably dynamic or oscillating but not necessarily yeah yeah no that that's for sure yeah i think keyforge in particular as soon as i said that i was like that might not be true but i do think in general like games where you're accruing more resources that then like allow you more options afford you more options like magic keyforge runeterra fit in that category i totally agree 
I guess one quick one we want to mention also that fits into this and is a good touchstone game that a lot of people will have experienced is Splendor. That's a game where, um, and this is, I think, especially important because it helps emphasize the point that it's about on average what happens in the game. In Splendor, you pick resources, you spend those resources on cards, that you access to access to more resources uh, innately permanently but you because you've spent resources you might have to collect them again but on average your decisions and your ability to affect the game state is really growing over the course of the game right yeah tableau engine building probably inherently fits a little better than this i was i think um you know just to think about our catalog res arcana is like a weird one though because you start out with so many resources and then you might spend them all in the first round so uh but i think in general that if you really enjoy, the, you know, building up an engine and that type of game, that's probably means like you enjoy existing in this waxing space, um, which, which I think does have a different kind of tenor to it than the waning one. And I think in both games, I think you really have, I, I maybe this is all games, but like they really reward you for thinking ahead and thinking about your next turn Mm. Um, but I wonder if in waxing games, you're thinking like, like it just kind of flips on a head on its head a little bit. Cause you're thinking like, what do, what I'm doing this turn? Like, what will that like, like what better thing will that enable me to do on subsequent turns? Yeah. Where it's like in wing, it's like, okay, I, I want to do this, but like, what if I do that? Like what like things will still be left for me to do on subsequent turns. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that maybe I misspoke in terms of waning being more about planning, but I think it's the important fact is that in waning games, you're planning for options you won't have. And in waxing games, you're planning for options that you will have. And that's key to the characterization of the space. Is it is it like too much of a simplification to say like waning is almost like more tactical in that sense and waxing has like more of like strategic like it, this is like obviously we're talking in like generalities here but i think like in a game where the decision space like grows and grows oftentimes that might afford it more to a game that lets players say like this is kind of the strategy i want to pursue and then like going down that path where waning games a lot of times like you may have a strategy you want to pursue but it's like quite easy for players to like cut cut you off right and make those make it so you can't take the decisions that enable that strategy yeah i think that obviously as listeners you might be able to think of instances in games where that doesn't remain true but i think on average that's a really great sort of um lesson we've already been able to sort of glean from this framing jake that's really insightful um that's awesome all right, well, on on uh, me being awesome, should we jump down to the next category or do you have more? No, absolutely. Let's pivot into static. <laughs> so static decision spaces, I think uh, good examples of these are games like where you are making the same decisions over and over again, right? So these are, you're presented with similar choices, but the, the consequences of maybe information not being the same or the, the nature of other aspects of the game have changed. So we mentioned rock, paper, scissors, but I think poker also really fits into this category. You're really making a yes, no decision of, am I staying in the pot or am I leaving the pot? Obviously you're going to have more of a position in terms of your resources and bidding and that sort of thing. But on average, the decisions in the game, do I want to stay in this hand or do I want to fold? That's static. You're making that same decision over and over. 
Um, I will also say that many fighting games sort of fit in this category. This is sort of an extension of the rock, paper, scissors aspect. But in terms of fighting games, oftentimes you have access to all of your character's options at once. And playing the game is about exploring the interaction between those options and the decisions that you think your opponent is going to make in those states. There's obviously fighting games where you'll go into a different state for a minute, you, or you might build up a meter that then gives you access to new options or moves. But on average, those games are pretty static in their decision spaces. Yeah, I think also um, a lot of small like party games fit well into the static decision space. A game I really love to play with my family is uh, Just One. So mm. you're just... That, that's a, a a fantastic game where you just write a word on a placard and try and get your uh, friend or, or or dad to guess a, a different word. Um, and if people write the same one, then they're all removed. Uh, and I mean that right. What the decision every turn is like? What word am I going to write? That's the game. Yeah. Um, you know, in the same same kind of deal with like wavelength or uh, with, you know, which, which similarly asks asks you to just decide like where on the spectrum we think this is same thing round after round. Um, and then I think, uh, so, so which kind of leads me to another thought. Okay. So the mind also, you're just playing numbers onto a stack, right? Your, your only decision in that game ever is like, is now the right time to play my number as you're trying to silently use telekinesis to communicate, uh, with your teammates in order to, play the cards in the right order so that kind of brings me to a thought which is do you think static games static decision space games hold up like maybe are better suited to small quick to play gaming experiences and perhaps don't hold up to super robust like heavy long playing games yeah, that's really interesting I feel like because of the nature of static games, there is the potential for them to get stale. I, I think a lot of static games explore mind games, right? You mentioned the mind. I think the mind is probably static, static waning, sort of both of those, because as you're playing numbers, there's fewer. Um, but I, the core decision just remains the same. So I think smaller games and then just iteratively playing those games, I think is what becomes interesting. The core loop of the game remains small, and then you'll just play it a lot of times or you'll play it multiple times. Right. Um, even we see games like The Resistance, you could think of, obviously there's strategy over the overarching rounds, but the core loop of that game, every round that you play, you're making pretty static decisions, voting, does the team get to go or not go? And then does the mission succeed or does the mission fail? And you do that iteratively multiple times to decide the outcome. And that becomes interesting um, because it makes the game better. The resistance isn't fun if you play one round. It's not really a game. But I think a lot of these games, like fighting games, you play iteratively. It's not as interesting to play a, a best of one. It's more interesting to play fighting games and like, let's play a best of five matches and see who comes out on top. So I definitely think that that's fair, Jake, that like in general, these games probably tend to be shorter and explore mind games. And they're games where it's more interesting to play them more, many more times. Even the mind does this, right? Uh, the yeah, core loop, totally. you you shuffle the deck back up and you do the same exercise again yeah um yeah it's like i think another just a, another example uh is is the uh reiner Knizia classic modern art i think to me um which you're just 
it's just an auction. There's different auctions. Every single round is an auction. Uh, you're trying to get art, and then that art is worth different values. Um, I, I mean, I I haven't played that game maybe enough. Maybe like I don't know the intricacies, but it feels pretty static. But because of the iterative nature of it, it's it's a ton of fun. Um, so I don't know. I think I'm trying to think of good examples of like heavier ones, but I think like. I I guess I what I'm trying to like my brain is coming around to like this idea is that like static games are like the games that are like most interested in like one core idea whether mm. that's like an auction or it's like prisoner's dilemma like doing an iterative prisoner's dilemma type of game um which I think is why kind of I I'm not super familiar with like uh the catalog of games or I'm really not at all of Reiner Kinsia, but I think he's somebody that's kind of like known as someone that really like focuses in on one core idea. Uh, I just played uh, Royal Visit, which is like a, a new little card game uh, by him where you're just trying, it's like a little tug of war game. You're playing cards to try to get this King to go down the board all the way into your like chateau. And it like could not be more static. I think. Interesting. I, I, Renner Kanitsu, we could probably do a whole show on his games talking about like categorizing them. It's really, but I think that you're, I really, I play modern art a ton. It's, I actually love modern art. It's, I think it's like the perfect weight for a lot of the groups that I end up playing games with. Um, I played it even like my sister who doesn't play games, we play modern art whenever she visits. It's just like a fun game for our family. And I think, I really see where you're coming from in terms of the auction mechanic being static. I think that there's other sort of little um, wrinkles thrown in that sort of layer the game and make it a little bit dynamic just because you're getting new paintings that come in and then those paintings can be auctioned off in different ways. So there are sort of different strategic choices that you're making in the course of the game. But I think your instinct of the core nature of auction games being about one thing probably pulls a lot of auction games if they're not just static into the static something else category for sure. Maybe this is what I'm getting at, which is that like, you know, game like modern games can have a ton of different mechanisms. And a lot of times that's what we're interested in. Like, Oh cool. Like, you know, uh, lost rooms of Arnak that's new because it's a uh, uh, deck building plus worker placement game. And how are those things going to interact? Uh, you know, and, and, uh, underwater cities a game we raved about is like kind of like card hand management plus like action selection with like almost like worker placement style like blocking it's like all those things together and i think that like static it's probably pretty difficult to have like a static decision space if you're incorporating like a bunch of different mechanisms and a lot of these uh games that we're mentioning in this segment are just one mechanism Mechanism. distilled Yeah, I think that that's, to me, that feels like a categorization similar to your first one of trying to splitting up the tactical and the strategic. And I think that that's probably true, ultimately, that like, that rule can be broken, but on average, exploring one core idea. Yeah, totally checks out to me. Which is like a lot, and a lot of people really love that, right? And that's the kind of games that appeal to them. And if, you know, if you're a big fan of those, maybe that's something you could... Uh, look for in future kind of games as that we discuss that you know, on this or you see in other reviews and maybe it's just something to kind of add to your your lexicon of thinking about the games that are best suited to you 
Totally. So let's slip into dynamic. The last category, oscillating slash dynamic. Games that are hard to characterize. um, Games that incorporate both waxing and waning uh, at different points in the game could potentially also be... Could it be a game that's static and waxing? Or would that... That's probably would be just waxing almost. Yeah, probably. Because on average, it's going right. in that direction. It's going that direction. Yeah. So, okay. So games that are have elements that fit into both of the top two. Um, and, and like we were saying, they often can grow and shrink multiple times to be the oscillating. Or perhaps it's a game uh, that grows and then shrinks just once, but in kind of an equal amount. Or maybe even it shrinks and then grows. Is it... Maybe that could be a cool game. Totally. <laughs> All right. So what are some of your favorite examples of this? I know we've already talked about kind of in messing up on the other ones. We've sort of mentioned that like Key Forge is probably a good fit here. Underwater Cities, we've mentioned a bunch. Uh, what are what are some of your other I think my favorite, I think that is Cosmic Encounter. So Cosmic Encounter is a game, uh, a sort of classic game. And there's aspects of the game that really shrink over the course of play. You start with 20 ships, uh, and a lot of those ships will be destroyed in your encounters and go away. But And you also start with a hand of cards that you're using in those encounters. And as you play those cards, they're going away. But once you've played all your cards, you get all you get a whole new set of cards. So you have this like shrinking, and then it grows back really dramatically. And there's a an effect in the game called Mobius Tubes that gives everyone their ships back all at once. Just the whole table gets all the ships that went to the warp. Uh, these games, I think, tend to be... Uh, sometimes people might describe games that fit in this category as swingy. And I think Cosmic Encounter has that for sure. But Jake, to your point, like Underwater Cities, I wouldn't necessarily describe as swinging, but there is the potential for like great variance within these game systems. I don't know if, I don't know if I am with you there. I'm interested. Uh, on swingy or on cosmic? On sw- I don't, I don't know that these games could be, are necessarily swingier than any other game just because mm. the decision space can grow and shrink. Sure. I, I would say like, I would say it's like swingy games are likely more likely to fit into this category, but it's yeah. not that dynamic decision-based games are inherently swingy. Because like the game I was going to bring up here, which I'm interested in what you think about this, is Castles of Burgundy. And that's like a game like that I wouldn't say is swingy at all. Uh, the reason I think it fits in here is because, and this is kind of like an interesting deal where it's like has rounds again. Yeah. Um, so previously we said, you know, spades is a waning decision space game, even though you play over many different rounds. I think even though Castle of Burgundy functions pretty similarly to that in each round, uh, you load up the board with all these different tiles, which you can then take those tiles uh, over five turns. You'll be taking those tiles and adding them to your uh, personal board, your estate you're building out. Uh, so that's a very like, in, in each individual round, it's a, a waning decision space. Like the decisions you're making, you're doing that. Like what, if I take this, like what am I likely to be able to do in future turns? Like what am I taking away from other players so they can't do? Uh, but then you get to a new round, you fill it all back up. Uh, the reason that I think this differs from spades uh, is similar to like underwater cities is what you've taken in previous round is going to impact future rounds so if you take a mine in the first round that's going to increase your income and give you more options 
and your, your silver and give you more options in the second round. Plus, you have all these science tiles, which can break rules to allow you to place things differently uh, than other players at the table uh, or, or perhaps change uh, the value you get out of certain actions in the game. So even though it is distinct rounds, uh, it still feels like they're cohesively linked into the same game where you can't so easily separate each one as to its own atom and say, like, this is purely waning. So I, th- I would think that fits in here. I totally agree. So I feel like the, the key difference is that in spades, uh, the position is decided. Like, you have a, a a position of players. You know who won that round. And, you know, if you're tracking, you know who's won other rounds. But your points don't play any they have no impact on future rounds you play. Whereas here, you wouldn't play. You could play one hand of spades and say I won spades if you were just agreed to play one sort of round. But you wouldn't play one round of Castles of Burgundy and say I won Castles of Burgundy because the game, the whole right. game, is bigger than that one space. Yeah. You would be taking moves in the first round to get more value over the course of the game rather than just going for straight up points. Though, you know, that could be a viable strategy too. So yeah, so because it grows and shrinks, yeah, I think that's a, a good example of a dynamic game, a game I love, one of my very favorite games of all time, and not a game that I think people find super swingy. That's, I think that's super fair. I think your your sort of analogy that it's kind of like the square rectangle relationship in a way makes a ton of sense to me. So I'm convinced. Also, you might, if you were playing Castles of Burgundy with Jake, find yourself in a position where after one round, you wanted to say that you had won the game <laughs> because <laughs> it's very difficult to beat Jake in a game of Castles of Burgundy. Though I do think if, if you're fans of Castles of Burgundy out there and that's a game that you would like us to talk about on the podcast in the future, let us know because I think that's a game that both Jake and I adore. Um, and we haven't explored a ton of dynamic decision space games on the podcast yet. And I think they lead to really, really fruitful discussions based on our Underwater Cities conversation. But I think that gives you a great summary of these four types of decision spaces and the four categories that games can generally fit into in terms of their decision spaces. So I think we'll pivot into a few questions as we move into the, the outro portion of the show. Um, but maybe we can talk about games that fit into multiple categories here, Jake. So what if we started with Dominion? Yeah, I think that's a good call. In my mind, Dominion is fits into two... Okay, on average, I agree that Dominion is a waxing decision space game, right? Like, as your deck grows, and generally you're getting more powerful cards that let you do more on your turn and make more decisions, but it's very interesting how the market in Dominion is always the same. It's literally static. Your ability to buy certain cards changes based on how much copper, gold, money in, your, in a given hand you have, but that core decision space remains the same. Um, so I would say that that aspect of the game does feel pretty static, but you're probably right that like overall, it would be more fair to discuss Dominion as a waxing decision space game. Yeah, it's super hard. I mean, I mean, I think it just comes down to like, what do we want to do with it? Because, yeah. you know, we could always just like talk about games that fit into two categories and say like, well, it has two, two different elements. This part of the game is this, and this part of the game is this, or we could try and think of like, is there a way that we can, you know, kind of come to a conclusion where we're like identifying it as a waxing game with static Mm. decision elements? I think another good example in in a touchstone game for people of this is like Ticket to Ride, um, which is 
a game that has like I I would say like the majority of the game is very static because it's just asking you on your turn like do you want to pick up cards or do you want to put down trains and that's going to be or I guess you can also take uh, a new destination ticket Um, but like that decision is going to be the same on your first turn and your last turn Um, but the way those decisions interact with the board on one hand like the board you're putting as trains get put down you have fewer options so that's waning decision and with your hand as you pick up more cards you have like more cards in your hand so that's like more option for what trains you put down so then that's like a waxing kind of decision but like the actual feeling i have of playing ticket to ride a game i really enjoy to play is like static like it it feels like the decisions i'm making are the same 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 yeah, that's very, it's very interesting in terms of the decision space, even though the spots that you're playing into are waning over the course of the game and the board as it shrinks disappears. I definitely see the the sort of blurred lines there in a lot of ways between this distinction. I feel like I might come down and be leaning towards Signature of the Ride being a waning decision space game because of that, but I'm having a hard time, like you're saying, figuring out why i feel that way given that the core choices you're making are the same over and over maybe it's because the consequences of those choices and where those choices can play out the space shrinks because of roots being taken up yeah but you do get more cards in your hand and you get more routes to pick up go to so is it I just dynamic the, i guess the cards in your hand is actually dynamic right because it can go yeah the way a lot of people the way i play that game a lot of times i'll just like collect like four or five different colors of cards so i have a whole lot and then i'll spend a bunch of turns in a row playing trains and then i have nothing so i guess the way i'm playing it is pretty dynamic and in that sense of like hand management if i'm playing as a hand management game it's dynamic i wonder if partially why ticket to the ride uh not ticket to the ride why ticket Ticket to to the ride (laughs) ticket to the ride works for so many different types of players and has been so lasting is because we're having a there's different elements of the game that sort of fall into these different categories. So in a way, the game space overall has something for types of players who prefer these different types of decision spaces. So there's kind of something for everyone in it. That's really interesting. Yeah, and, and the you know, if the way you're orienting, uh, you're thinking about the game as you play is like, oh man, like all these spots are getting taken up. Like, what? Where am I going to go next? Like, then it, it is going to feel like a waning decision space game to you whereas if you're kind of thinking more along the lines of like i'm just gonna get like a ton of cards in my hand i'm just gonna keep taking cards and keep taking cards then it's now i have a million cards and i have all these options i can put trains anywhere like that's gonna feel like waxing so it really you know uh, as is so often the case in our kind of discussions about games like and then why probably games are just so great to a large extent it's like it's so subjective to like your personal experience that you're having with a game totally games resist simplicity in terms of categorization (laughs) so why do we do this show (laughs) (laughs) it's like a sisyphean struggle (laughs) seriously (laughs) we always were like oh we've got all these great thoughts here we are at the end we're like well i guess like this game that's like 
super lightweight, simple, everyone plays, and we're like, it defies categorization. <laughs> It's awesome. I'm curious, this next question really jumped out to me when you added it to the notes earlier this week, Jake. Can you, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on this one? All right, so I was just going through, I I was looking through like kind of my collection. I'm like, okay, this feels like a waxing game. This feels like weighing dynamic. Uh, And I got to a game that kind of gave me a pause. And that game is Mansions of Madness. Um, So that's like, at its core is an action selection game. Uh, You're going through the mansion you're you're you play an investigator um and and your actions are pretty much always the same uh you can move you can investigate you can fight um you can pick up items a couple other things so in in that sense like each turn feels very static in, in kind of like the decisions you're able to make and the way you're able to influence the game but the game itself is changing because it's like this app driven thing. You're getting different tiles, different like kind of mm. monsters are coming up. Um, so it's almost like the decision space is static, but like the game itself is dynamic. And mm. I, I don't know. I just thought I was just curious if you have you played that game or similar games and, you know, Maybe we could. Maybe this is more just about like general, like kind of like adventure games, uh, and and how they fit into this paradigm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like one thing that we're starting to struggle with is using this the cat or that we're teasing out. I should say is the categorization. Are are we applying this language to the decisions you make in an individual turn of the game, or to the decision space overall? And I think that maybe what this comes down to is like within the Mansions of Madness, you have a static decision space in terms of your turn, but the game itself is dynamic. Whereas like... Or waxing probably. Or like waxing. You're, you're putting out more room. So like you can like literally move to more different places towards the end of the game than you could at the beginning when there was only like one or two rooms available. But totally. like the, you could still move, you know, two spaces or, or whatever, you know? yeah. And that's interesting, then, do we want to call that static or waxing? But it's probably just, like, a static turn selection game that has a waxing decision space overall, opposed to something like a fighting game where you're, it really is a static decision. I can make the same choices if I have 600 of my resource, if my resource is HP, as I can if I have one of my resource in terms of HP. Yeah. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And to, to your first question, like, the... I guess like the only way, the way I've been thinking about it and kind of the way that makes sense to me is we think about it in terms of like the decisions available to you on your turn because like games are subjective and like played by people, people. right? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know, just maybe, maybe I'm just not understanding, but like I don't know like how a different lens to that would be valuable like mm. right like okay i don't know and i guess maybe mansion madness is a good example of that it's like yeah the game is dynamic and it grows but like what you do on your turn is always pretty much the, the same. same so that's like a- i don't know like i guess where i come down like okay if that's true and this is a simplification like please nobody i know you can like get items and change your powers and mansions of madness so we're being general but like if that were true that it was totally the same 
style decision you're making on every turn. Like to me, I would feel okay describing it as, as like a static game in general. Yeah, that's. I think to your point, if you get more items in the game, that in my mind changes slightly. But I think what you're saying, if I can interpret it, Jake, is like in fighting games, you're still getting more information as we play the game, which affects my decision space, but I'm making the same core decisions. So if in a game like Vengeance of Madness, if you're getting more information that don't really fundamentally change the types of decisions that you make on your turn, is is it really, does it go beyond that category? So I, I don't know. Because I would say that fighting games are static, but part of my instinct, and it might be a lack of familiarity with the game, is that it is waxing or dynamic, but I don't know why I feel that way. Yeah, it's really it's really hard because I wonder if also an element of of this is like you can get an item of Mansion Madness that means like your attacks are better, but you're still kind of like rolling dice. So mm. it, it like the actual like execution of it almost Yeah feels the same whereas a similar but but much more determinative game in, uh which is the arkham horror living card game to me like that's i, I feel like secure in, in thinking of that as like kind of certainly not static maybe dynamic or, or waxing but like you're getting resources you're playing you're getting more cards you're playing the cards and it's like much more determinative in like there's still randomness um so i don't know i it's a it's a tough one i think it's really uh exciting that even though we've presented this new framework that there's still aspects of it that we are totally sure how it's going to work for me and that at the end of the podcast i think we generally feel like we um have really figured things out and I feel like we've teased out a lot in this conversation. So I'm excited to see where as we play more games and filter them through this lens, we end up in terms of games like Mansions of Madness. Uh, and I hope you all will too, and sort of let us know what you think. And if you ever want to come to us and sort of say, do you think this is this or this or that? I would love to have those sorts of conversations with you. Yeah. Dude, maybe, maybe uh, assuming we get some kind of engagement that could almost be like a little, segment we could throw in at the end of an episode sometime be like hey somebody asked us to like put this game into the paradigm and we yeah. could we could try and give it a shot because i think we could definitely talk at length about any of these games and kind of tease them apart much more maybe not rock paper scissors but but the rest of the games there's some okay <laughs> do you want I mean, no, maybe, I don't. Maybe for the future episode. <laughs> but uh, okay, so final. Do you? I think maybe for the final question. Do you have a? Do you think that you have a preference for games that fall into one type of these decision spaces, Jake? Do you sort of see yourself leaning in one direction, or are you really like an omni? I like all types of decision spaces. I feel like I'm definitely an omni in the sense that, like, I there's there's none of these. You know, all of the games that we've brought up on this show, I think are yeah. games I really enjoy um, or, or at least like a great deal or haven't played. I haven't played castles of mad King Ludwig, but uh, the rest of them are all games I really like. So I wouldn't say that I have a strong preference towards any, um, but I think the one that I'm least interested in uh is, is waxing games mm. actually i think like 
deck building is is a mechanic that I've like just historically really bounced off of making decisions based on like potential future better turns I think is like just generally like less fun for me than like making like the most impactful term in that moment yeah. um so I don't know I mean the, the that's kind of that's kind of my thought on it I think my very favorite games probably fall more into the dynamic space um but 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 filler I, I was my my favorite my favorite filler games are waning my favorite party games are static and my favorite strategy games are probably dynamic yeah that's really interesting i asked an unfair question because i don't think I, my i don't think i have an appetite for one of these sort of categories of games either i think like you said jake part of the joy of like games is that they all have these different shapes um i think maybe if i leaned in one one sort of direction i actually really like static games i think they're really interesting because i tend to like the mind games that explore the mind games of games That's such like a game designer answer i, I wonder <laughs> i bet like game designers will generally do prefer static because it's like so, so pure it's like the pure that's awesome that's interesting it's like you're not a real magic pro unless you say limited is your favorite format is that is that true (laughs) it used to be true i don't know that's funny i also i really have a proclivity for waning decision-based games and i don't think that will be news to anyone who's listened to the podcast and heard the games that i bring up repeatedly so let's end on this i just came up with a challenge okay anyone and we'll put this on twitter i'm just curious can you think of a mechanic and then, so you have to pick a mechanic and then think of a game that uses that mechanic that falls into all four categories. So you could Ooh. say like worker placement and then like, even like here's a worker placement game with a waning decision space, waxing, static, and dynamic. You could pick any mechanic. I'm just curious what people come up with. And you're saying, Jake, to clarify, you want four different games or you want... Four different games, yeah. So yeah. like, you know, you could do deck building. You'd be like Dominion's my ex... Uh, mm. Lost Ruins of Arnak is my whatever. I don't know. That, do you think? Do you think it's possible? Do you think? I don't know. It's really interesting. That's a really interesting quest that we've sent people on, and I think we'll we'll do the same exercise and let you know. And yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. report back. So thank you so much for this episode. I hope that this has been helpful, Jake. I've really I always enjoy our conversations a lot. I spend all week bugging you and being excited for the next one. Um, but I think this has been really fruitful and, and positive and interesting. And one of the most beneficial uh, outcomes of our lens so far, if you've made it to this point in the podcast, I suspect you probably feel the same. And we would love if you, if you thought that this was particularly interesting, I personally would love if you would share this podcast with someone who you think would too. Uh, we're always trying to to grow the podcast, and the, one of the most effective ways for that to happen is if you share it with your friends. Yeah. So, and and we're also trying to learn more about you know games and, and this hobby that yep. we love. Um, you know, we don't we don't really do too much talking beforehand because we think it's like best when it comes out uh, on the on the actual recording and the pod. So, uh, you know, we I think we definitely were doing some learning today and you know, that's just amplified when there's more voices, more people kind of like joining in this conversation, conversation. So as always, like what if you have any feedback, we always like just love to hear it. And that's something that we're hoping to keep building with this show. Um, Because, you know, the more that this is like a a conversation between us and you, uh, I think the more satisfying and enjoyable it'll be for everyone. Totally. 
I guess this is the point where we let you out of the inner decisional spaceship. Oh, yeah. I forgot we were going to say that. Yeah. The That's a new, new lore. <laughs> new lore. Yeah. So hop, get ready to hop back into it when we explore the El Grande decision space next week. And we'll leave you uh, with a reminder that you can reach out to us on Twitter at Decision Spa. Sounds good. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. You are now exiting the decision space. Thanks for listening. Please take care and enjoy the rest of your game. Mm-hmm.